Hey, security peeps, we are back with another edition of Breaking LinkedIn with Breaking Into Cybersecurity, episode 16. This is crazy. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping all these amazing people on this panel get into opportunities and helping people like Brian hire wonderful uh, folks like the other folks on the panel. I am excited to introduce my co-host, Chris Folan. Say hi to everybody, Chris. Hey, everyone. Um, senior security consultant and co-host. Short and sweet. Yes, Chris always. Cochran. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? Chris Cochran, half of Hacker Valley Studio, director of security engineering by day, podcaster by night. Passing it over to my buddy, Ron. The other half of Hacker Valley Studio, Ronald Eddings. Um, by day, security architect. And by night, love podcasting. Love love these conversations. Thank you to Renee and Chris, as always, for setting it up. And Absolutely. Brian for joining us. Mm-hmm. Passing it over to Brian, our yeah, wonderful for guest for today. Yeah, uh, Brian Hoagley, uh, one out of one uh, for CISO Life, um, <laughs> and one out of two, or one out of four for um, our consulting firm, uh, Side Channel, a uh, VCSO cool. uh, firm focused on the mid-market and small businesses, and uh, a reformed CISO myself, an ex-Pentagon junkie, so. <laughs> Ex-Pentagon junkie. We need to get deeper into that. Yeah, one. we we got to <laughs> dig into that because I've never heard those two words put together in my entire life. <laughs> Pentagon junkie. Yeah, awesome. So time. what is our topic for today, folks? Job descriptions. Job descriptions. Yes, let's talk about it. It's going to get heated. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let the festivities begin. So I've seen a number of threads a number of threads talking about these wacky job descriptions, mm-hmm. how job descriptions out there have, you know, they're asking for a junior level person with a ton of experience. They're laying out 15 years of this, 20 years of stuff that hasn't even been around, 20 years of AWS. I mean, it's just crazy. What are your thoughts on how, how do they even get out there like that? That's question number first? one. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, I feel like you all are like, like Brian's going first. Uh, <laughs> you that before I showed up. Um, so having, so working in a lar- really large organizations and now seeing small organizations, um, it's interesting to see why the same thing happens in both. And it's for the same reasons. It's because the people who actually know what they need aren't properly communicating with the HR and recruiter teams about what it is that they want. They're not setting realistic expectations. There's this view of like in larger organizations, you know, you're a manager or you're a leader inside of cyber and you're like, hey, I need an analyst. And like you think that that's all that you need to tell the recruiter and they magically know what you mean by I need an analyst or an engineer or a GRC director or whatever it is. The problem is, is that those job descriptions and titles and everything aren't like cast in stone like they are for other really well-established kind of roles. Like take a totally non-IT, non-security role. If you were looking for somebody who's a civil engineer, it's pretty clear what you would require out of a civil engineer at a junior, mid, and senior level. Like it's a very well-established role. That hasn't happened within cybersecurity. It's started to happen with IT, but it's still a little bit, you know, still needs some, we're still kind of all new to this. Like this is like, we're I mean, this this whole sector is only like 20 years old, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if right. that. So 
recruiting, you know, the, the advice is if you're a CISO or your manager looking for that role, it's like, be really crisp with your, with your recruiter, enable them, sit down with them, talk to them about what exactly you want. And don't just also rely on like the last job description that you had and have them just go run with it. Just be in there, help them shape it. It's not a task or a ticket. You can just hand over to recruiting and say, okay, thanks. Tell me when you got the right person. Come back. Amen. Um, the other thing, don't look at the person that's currently in the role um, to, and use that as a leveling stick for those that you want to replace them, um, especially for the, the mid and junior roles, because you're setting unrealistic expectations right then and there, because the individual came into that role maybe two, three years ago, and now you're expecting whoever comes in to be at that same level that you're leaving at. Mm -hmm. I think also part of the confusion, I think, Brian, you said it very well. Uh, another part of the confusion and kind of the, the, the challenge here is the recruiters are not only making the, the requirements, but they're also doing the preliminary search and mm -hmm. discussions with the candidates. So they might have this, you know, thing that they've come to another conclusion on based off of another job requirement or the previous team member. And now they're trying to find something that doesn't isn't even required. Yeah, I have a quick PSA about recruiters, and I, I think we need to cut recruiters a little bit of slack because I've seen a lot of posts about, oh, look at this. This recruiter is asking me about this, this and this. I'm a you know, I'm a, I've been in the game for 20 years. OK, we get it. You're super experienced and they pitched you a, a job that, that was a little junior. Well, we uh, we had somebody on the podcast that, that really illuminated it really well. And it's that recruiters are usually recruiting in all sectors, in all spaces, in all job roles. So they don't really have the context to be able to decipher whether someone is junior or senior in a specific role, or at least all roles. I mean, sure, you're going to have those superstar recruiters like Renee that she'll be able to go in there like, oh, yeah, this, this is a good fit. <laughs> this is not a good fit, right? But when you have someone that's recruiting for say a recruiting firm, like a big recruiting firm, maybe they're a junior recruiter. They're, they're, there's going to be a learning curve here, especially when it comes to these ridiculous uh, job wrecks that we create. And so that's probably added to a lot of the confusion. It, it is. I, I'll tell you, so I had an early job for a while as an IT manager at a recruiting firm. Um, great. I learned a ton about Renee, like what you do and like the larger organizations, I almost feel like I have a bit of an edge when I actually go into like negotiations with recruiters because I know how they got to me and like what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. um, but I used to get a lot of questions from the recruiting team who would come down and be like, hey, I'm looking for this Java developer. I got this guy's resume. What do you think? And I'm like reading it like, you know, does it say Java? <laughs> and, i mean like but like talk about junior level recruiters like yep. they were at that level where they're like at least they recognize i don't know what i'm supposed to be looking for you're an expert right. in this space or at least a little bit more right. senior than me so you know what you should be looking for is this mm -hmm. the right person right um does that happen a lot with larger recruiting firms are they being trained on that sort of thing or are they just totally people persons and just trying to figure out do they have the right technical specs still because i so I think, Ron, to your point, like I still get, I used to be, a, I had a role as a SAN engineer in the DOD early mm -hmm. on. 
I still get people paying me like, hey, I've got this role for a storage engineer. I'm like, mm, I'd love to. your resume to, but... for Monster from 1999. You, you, you still have the chops. I know you yeah. can still do it. <laughs> get in there. Get in there, Brian. This so, sounds very, very uh, familiar to what happens with um, I, IT, IT people because they're expected to know everything about IT, but that's not their specialization. Like you're, if you're a sound engineer and then you're being asked to, to work on networks, while you might know a little bit about networks, like that's not your specialty. So same thing, for, same thing goes for recruiters. So yeah, definitely give them, give them a little slack. And training. So, <laughs> and training. Jupiter Black says, and you know I could talk about this all day long. So Jupiter Black says, what displeases me is that there is no bridge between the actual managers and HR or recruiter writers. Some of these qualifications are fairy tale in the job postings. And that's the stuff where it says like 20 years of AWS when AWS is what? 16 or 15 years old or you know 12 years of something <laughs> 12 years of kubernetes experience yeah. right. <laughs> just original <ridiculous>. developer <laughs> I so had, oh go ahead no i i saw this this um this post and i literally laughed out loud because one of the commenters said do other lifetimes count? Like, can you have gotten this experience through like three or four lifetimes? And I just burst out laughing. I was like, this is how ridiculous this is. Oh man, go ahead, Ron, ask. I was going to ask you, how do you train recruiters, other recruiters that you want to be superstar recruiters? So <laughs> you'll get a kick out of this. My very, f the first book that I wrote called Magnetic Hiring well, the only book that I wrote so far I finished <laughs> called Magnetic, <laughs> Magnetic Hiring was a gift to other recruiters because mm. I was that. So I had been recruiting IT for a decade, like since 2003-ish, wow. 2002, yeah. like a long yeah. time, right? So all types of different IT stuff. So to Brian's point, I had grown up in my first job was as a pro was as a project manager. I got a degree in information systems, so I had like the technology um, background. Did like was like a junior PM, and then always loved recruiting. So they would always like come to me and help with the interns and help with all this other stuff. So eventually, started recruiting, and as a junior recruiter, there was training that we got in you know whatever we were working on at the time. So I had been recruiting. Java developers, you know, sand people, the engineers, all this different stuff for years. And then got to DC from New York and started working on cybersecurity and was just like, what is this? Like, mm -hmm. I have no, like, what? <laughs> like, what is, I don't even know what this means. None of this stuff makes sense to me. So I went and um, we're partner with one of the, uh, he's now, all of them are now CISOs, they were awesome. At the time, they were like the leads in the team. So the directors, managers and stuff. And I was like, Eric, Eric, I'm, I'm calling Eric, Eric Leibowitz. I was like, can you, we, I, set up, I set up weekly meetings or maybe even bi-weekly. I was like, what is this? What does this mean? What is incident, the running joke is I always used to say incident response. I would say incident response instead of incident, incidents. I would mm -hmm. say incidents, E-I-N-D-E-N-C-E. -E. <laughs> I was just like, yeah. what is this? I was like, what is this stuff? And he broke it down like, okay, 
this is what identity and access management does. This is what this is. This is what I was like, talk to me, tell me like a five. And mm-hmm. then I need to be able to translate that to what should their resume say? Does this matter? Does that matter? So it was really, I mean, I, A, I was educating myself. B, yep. I was like scared of shit because I couldn't figure out how to recruit the people. I was like, are they, are they going to fire me? Like, like, I can't figure this out. Like, I came from all these big banks, JP, all these places in New York. Right. And I'm in D.C. I'm like, this is D.C., whatever. And it, it was funny because when they threw me the cybersecurity group, they're like, yeah, it's really tough. I was just like, Psh, please, like, whatever, you know. <laughs> I'm from New York. You don't work in these banks. And I'm sitting there literally like I don't know what any of this stuff means. So, Ron and Chris, I appreciate you giving some of the junior recruiters some slack because it is like speaking a different language. And so I um, from that experience, you know, like really partnering with them is what really made me a, a really good recruiter because I was able to ask what does this mean? What is that? What do you look for? And at one point in time, I mean, they were so good. They would sit down with all the resumes. Like we would just take all the resumes. I would pull my screen up and I would go, you know, and they would say, no, I'd be like, why, why not? Mm-hmm. What don't you like mm-hmm. about this? What do you like about this? They're like, yeah, we want this person. Okay. What is it about this person that you like? What is it about this resume that I can kind of start to mirror my searches over? And we ended up becoming so successful. It was great. I like literally became embedded in this team, and that's why eventually they they ended up bringing me over. Like, hey, we want you to be a part of the, you know the, the group. Um, but it was this really education. It was kind of me being a little bit of a squirrel, like really un- trying to understand that. And the thing about the recruiting industry, especially if you're on the extra, if you're in a in a in, a, in an agency, so like kind of what Brian was talking about, is so much turnover. It's really like in the beginning, you know, they typically don't pay all that great. Um, and then you you you're trying to you're trying to as a young recruiter or an or an entry recruiter, you're you're getting on the phone with people, you're intimidated by them because you're like, Whoa, I a I don't know what this is. B, these people make a lot of money, you know, or really seasoned mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, there's a couple different levels going on in there. Um So what I tell recruiters to do, to answer Ron's question, I tell them, ask your candidates. Like when you get on the phone with somebody, especially like in this market right now, there's a lot of people out there looking around and they'll take your call and have a conversation with you and ask about the market, ask about what's going on. Ask them, what does this stuff mean? I still ask because it changes so fast. I learned something yesterday. I'm like, what is, you know, whatever the tool was. I was like, what is that? What does that do? And people don't, I think that the intimidation from the recruiting side is that you don't um, realize that tech people love talking about what they do. You're like Hmm. the only person that might listen. (laughs) (laughs) So having you guys, having a Ron explain to me, what do you do, Ron? What is that? What does this stuff mean? And then taking that kind of like embodying it. And then for the next person, especially if you're working on hopefully if you're in if you're in a, a recruitment firm, they typically give you like one set of positions to work on. It's usually not like, okay, help desk today and cybersecurity tomorrow and that kind of thing. I feel really, really bad for like those HR of one types teams or you, mm-hmm. you're like the sole recruiter and you're in this company and it's like, oh, I got a marketing analyst, I gotta, you know, I wanna hire a payroll person, a help desk guy, and yeah, the cybersecurity thing, like, you know, they're juggling a bunch of different wrecks 
and they have no clue. They don't even know where to begin most of the time, and they don't have the bandwidth. So that's really the struggle from that perspective. In terms of what Brian was talking about with job descriptions, in my experience, and we were talking about this, I had, gosh, I think every day this week on either a live stream or not talking about the job description situations. Um, in my experience, the the leader is the one writing the description. So they say, you know, this is what we want. And HR is usually at the end of the chain. So they get the approval, they get, you know, CFO, whoever has to do the, all the approvals and stuff with the rec, get the rec approved. And then it comes to us fully, pretty much fully baked. And by the time we get it, it might be some grammatical error tweaks and things like that. But it typically isn't a rewrite unless it's just completely egregious. Like, whoa, mm. this, is, this will look really bad on our website type of thing. HR recruiters inside of big organizations, the ones that I've been in, like the Fortune 100 type, Fortune 500 type, are not really the ones driving and writing these descriptions. It usually comes from the leaders. Now, somebody schooled me this week. I think it was JJ was on here, and he was telling me that um, in organizations that he's been in, mostly, I think, it was either hotel. No, it wasn't JJ. It was somebody else. Somebody else was on the, on the on the live stream, and they were saying that in in the organizations that they had been in, they didn't get to write the description. So HR, the HR director, was like, "Oh, this doesn't look right," and I guess they would put together maybe a couple bullets, and then that person would be adding stuff. And I was like, "Well, how can they tell you what you need? How can I, as an HR person who know I don't know anything about a CEH, an AWS cert, a CISSP, I don't know anything. How in the world could I go back and tell you?" what you need. Now, I can tell you that the company, which we already know has been a big issue, says that if you bring in an analyst level person, they have to have a bachelor's in something. Like I can say that. I can say, okay, we can't post this without saying bachelor's required. We can't post this without saying, you know, certain things required that's like company-wide compliance. But who am I to say to hiring manager Brian or hiring manager Ron Eddings, Oh no, you don't need AWS certifications for your jobs. That's crazy. <laughs> that's that's mind-boggling to me. So <laughs> it was the... it was very interesting to hear from people who have had different experiences. In my experience, it's always been the 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 HR person is at the end of the yeah. job spec process, and we're just kind of like reconfirming this is what you want. Half the time, we don't know what this. I mean, at like to Chris Cochran's point, now that I've been in this for since 2011, almost 10 years, yeah, I can tell you, look, this is three different job descriptions in one. This is ridiculous. We can't hire this. You're not going to find this for the, the couple of dollars that you have to spend on a person. Unicorn. Yeah. So, I've, right. I've seen the reverse of what you said, which was yeah. HR told me. So I've, I've got a position and I'll still defend it that I don't believe college degrees are necessary for all roles. Hmm. We you all open up that. your candidate pool. <laughs> And look, I'm not, I, I, yeah, I like, I started college when I was like 22. Like I took time off. Like I didn't want to mm -hmm. go to school. Um, but like I've had HR tell me you can't not have it in the job rec. You need to have a bachelor's in there. Like that needs to be a standard. That's what the company's looking for. And I was like, but that's not what I need. Right. Like I've already got people on my team who don't have degrees and they're incredibly successful. <laughs> Why can't I go find more? Mm-hmm.
Yeah. And that's a, I, and, and I agree. So in that particular case, when it comes to like degrees, that's a total like, you know, compliance kind of HR says like maybe the people that you had hired and I don't know this, but maybe the people that you had hired had grown up inside the organization and they moved around and they started in a role that didn't require a degree. And this role is slated to the type of rec that mm-hmm. does require one or something like that. So when it comes to that type of thing, I get it um, because I know that there's all these compliance issues and I've fought, I've fought those battles. I've had multiple <laughs> LinkedIn discussions around especially people who are, you know, they have the experience, they got 10 years, they got 15, how many ever years, and it's a real difficult to fill position. You can't find anybody else in particular. You find an awesome rock star person, and then they're like, oh, they don't have a degree. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, we all want this fill. You want to fill? I want. I don't want to see you every week. <laughs> I don't want to have this conversation with a hiring manager. Where are the candidates? Okay, so I found you a great candidate. They want in. You can't hire a, we can't hire this person because they don't have a degree. And like, you know, I've tried to fight those battles within HR, within, I was working with a a, a, um, um, a big four before, and they told me like all these compliance related things. And it was just too hard to jump through the hoops to get, you know, the approval. So I've, hmm. I've been up against those battles myself because I see, especially in this industry, there's not enough, there's not enough people. It's like, wait a minute. We have these people, they're qualified, except this degree component. This is ridiculous. Can we make an exception? Can we do all this kind of stuff? So Brian, I'm 100% and I think that all of us here collectively, we've said it over and over that we 100% agree that it's ridiculous. And we were saying with that executive order that came out that you know said to the government skills over degrees, we hope that that would translate over into mm-hmm. other big organizations and then trickle down across the board because it's ridiculous to put this barrier up to entry. And sometimes it doesn't even matter what degree. It's not even like, oh, a degree, you could have a degree in anything. So uh, you could have a degree in basket weaving and that makes you more qualified just because the company says it has to be, that's the barrier to entry. It's ridiculous. So I want to open up a bombshell. You know, we we typically (laughs) get to these conclusions after someone that was qualified for a position applied and interviewed. And then we find out that they were great but the requirements just didn't match what they had, but we still maybe wanted them. And a lot of the times it doesn't pan out then. I've read a book called The Formula, and it talks about the importance of being the last person to interview for a position. Mm -hmm. The last person is typically the one to get the position. How do you set yourself up to be the last person that interviews for a role before that role closes up and gets filled? (laughs) That's going to be tough. I mean, from like a hiring manager standpoint, that's like it's hard. Yeah, like because because sometimes your your windows are like changing as far as like yeah. when you start recruiting and mm-hmm. how early you start seeing candidates. If there's people kind of maybe if your recruiting team is large enough and mature enough to establish a pipeline already for some things, knowing that you're going to be looking for more analysts or engineers over the next you know twelve to eighteen months. As a, as somebody trying to get a job, that's even harder. That's yeah, like you you've got to ask hard. some really good questions about like well yeah. you know when did this open? How and you can you, yeah, know, you mm-hmm. can ask those questions too. You can ask recruiters anything you want too. By exactly. the way, exactly. People, people don't realize this. This isn't like <laughs> they'll, they'll tell you the, the best thing. That actually, I'll give a tidbit that I did learn. You know, the one thing I learned about when you're negotiating, the first person to mention money loses in uh, when you're trying to get a job. Mm-hmm. So I always get the question, "Hey, what are you looking for for this role?" I'm like, "Well, you know, I'm looking for something competitive." 
what's the range that the company's looking to pay? <laughs> mm-hmm. And recruiters, Renee, tell me if I'm wrong, you have that range. You have the low point, you have the high point, you know exactly what those two numbers are, and you squarely want to have that person inside there. So they're like, oh, here's the high level number. It's like, well, I'm probably closer to that, but you know, we can talk about it. But you don't give a definitive like number, you just talk about like that's where you think your worth is, and you go from there and let them be like, all right, well, I think I'm gonna go back to this manager. I really like this guy, he's probably at the higher end. What should we offer him? And then the manager goes, give him 5K more than the top. Let's get him in here. And back to the timing. I've seen that. I've seen that and I've done that. I mean, but the timing, that's that's got to be tough. But you're right. Mm-hmm. Like, tactically, tactically, that's tough. Strategically, that's genius. Right. You give the lasting impression. Like, that's the last person that they saw. They're like, hmm. Yep. I Like, yep. that left. Now, you got to be good. If the lasting impression right. is you're yeah. bad, well, that's an easy then you're out right and we start recruiting all over again the the example they gave in the book in the book the formula is fantastic book this is one of ron and i's favorite book but uh the example they give is a music competition and when you have judges right if you have a day-long music competition the person that goes first they got the short end of the stick because now they don't want to say oh wow this is the best thing we've ever heard give them tens across the board no, they're a little bit more conservative. And then as the competition goes on, they then can compare the person that went before them. And then at the end of the day, they have this whole data set to then place people. And now if, if you just so happen to be just a little bit better than the ones before you, you ultimately will probably win, end up winning. Hmm. What's the name I of the-, lo- the formula. The formula. Mm-hmm. I love the the note that you gave Brian about uh, negotiation. That's a strong tactic, and I think that's that's how we uh, end up in the positions that we don't want to be in for the money that doesn't require our skill set. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. I've used it every time successfully. I landed a Fortune 500 uh, CISO and VP role doing that, and I got exactly what I wanted. Like, no quite I left DOD and that was my first role and I took everything I had learned into both of those interview sets the everything I brought Mm -hmm. my entire a game and my wife's a game into those (laughs) negotiations (laughs) I had to convince her to leave Virginia to move back into the northeast where you 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 have to shovel get a little frozen (laughs) yeah 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 I want to make some. I want to shout out some people. Chris, you want to go first, and then I'll shout some people out with their comments. No, go ahead. I was just going to agree, agree with Brian, and I've used that tactic several times too. Yeah, it's yeah. It, I mean, it works. You ask for the range, um, and that's it. And if we have it, I mean, I, I have been in a, a situation or two where I have not had a range. And it, hmm. it it's it's frustrating for me and for the person. Um, but that's literally been like two scenarios out of thousands, probably. Okay, so Trey Anders says, I think mentorship goes a long way in career development. Cybersecurity professionals need help in understanding the hiring process. That is true. Cyberamp.com. What's cyberamp.com? Probably his company. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, Trey, are you a professional you re- you mentor? You fell for it. <laughs> you read it. His comment. You fell for it. His comment good? and the comment before kind of kind of intertwined. Like, I think the comment before, I think it was from. Uh, it was Jupiter Black. Jupiter said that there was no bridge between managers and HR. I I kind of got mm-hmm. a question. You you're if you're the manager, that's your bridge to build. Like. Don't just sit back and expect that that's going to happen. And I think yep. to um, then the last comment then was was kind of tied into that. That yeah, there 
managers need to, that bridge is you mentoring the recruiting team that you're going to rely on to go out and find you your people to explain to them what it is you're looking for. It's you, you've got to be clear. You've got to own in the end of it. It's yours to own as a manager. The recruiter is your vehicle to go find it. Otherwise, right. if they don't exist, you're also wearing that hat and going and finding it. And you don't have time for that. And as a candidate, you also have to go out to those in the field to get mentoring, to have those skills. It's not like they teach uh, personal finance and negotiation skills in many of the courses that you do. So you have to go out and figure out what's the best approach and how to do it. And that's through senior leaders in the field. Mm. So Yana says, um, seven years of GDPR when GDPR is two years old, hilarious. The job description stuff. So yeah. Jupiter says, say it louder in the back, Brian. Degrees are a piece of paper. Oh, sorry. The, the what? The numbers thing. Like I've never gotten like, who quantifies like I need to see somebody with 12 years of Palo Alto experience. Right. Yep. Versus somebody who has 15 years or yep. seven years. Yep. Like, yeah. Like, right. Does it really matter how much time? Because if you're looking for a junior level person, you're looking for a junior level person. You can kind of see what it is you need out of that versus a senior level person. You can you can see it on a resume if you remove all the numbers that have anything to do with years of experience. And who's not to say that it, within one year you've right. mastered that? So yep. I was a sand engineer. I had no sand experience before I got that job. I walked into the DOD's organization that needed it. I was taught on the job in the first six weeks by the head of HP's SAN, who we used. It was full fiber brocade SAN. I mean, we were moving terabytes a day. It was amazing. Yep. And he taught me in six weeks everything. Why? Because he's the guy who actually created all of it. And right. I got on the job training in six weeks from him and then was the SAN engineer and then enterprise architect for that group for two years. Yep. I learned everything in that time and executed that entire mission and supported everything for two years. I had no experience, mm -hmm. but I learned it. Yep. Somebody else might have taken a year or two years to learn that. Mm -hmm. So, like, again, it's like some people are just quick studies on things. Some people yep. learn yeah. things and master it over time. It also kind of depends on the craft. So I still and question the numbers. You hit on something, and it's the golden secret of applying for roles. I can't tell you how many roles I've applied for where – I'd say I matched up 40 to 50% of what they were asking for because they're asking for so much. Like everyone's asking for so much. Yeah. If you, if you find a job wreck that is close to the position that you want with a company you're dying to be at, apply to the role, mm -hmm. apply to the role because I feel like it's so, it's so limiting because people they'll read the entire job wreck, seven years, this 10 years of that 15 years. Oh man, I, I just don't have enough. But and 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 some pathway and some alternate dimension that person applies for that role and actually gets it. So yeah. I would say that that is like the secret. If you see a, a position that you are like just this close, but you don't match up with all of the wrecks, mm -hmm. apply anyways. Just do yeah. it. Just try yeah. it. Because I mean, what do you really have to lose? Sweet I've never losses. asked someone during an interview like how long they've been doing a specific technology. I, I kind of more curious about I how did how did you learn that. <laughs> like, <laughs> How did like, you learn how to do that? Especially if you learn how to do it in one year. Like if you if you expose that to me, I'm I'm more curious about were you working with the the person that created the technology? If you were, that's better for me because you're close to the source. Hopefully, we still have access to that person if we ever need help. Right. Right. 
most people want to know who most managers they're like can i put you in and you not bother me you know like are you going to be able to do the <laughs> thing that you say you can do right that's it you know and the they years of that the- expectation for a, an entry-level person and that's that, the problem I mean, the entry- these jobs these quote-unquote entry-level job descriptions are just so absolutely ridiculous yeah i don't even have a comment i don't have comeback like it's ridiculous zero to two years in every organization i've been in entry level zero to two years experience and a degree or not that's it maybe Mm -hmm. an internship something like you're not supposed to you're supposed to be green that's the whole purpose of entry level and it has a salary range that goes along with it that's usually an entry-level salary range the expectation is that you are going to need guidance and training and all of that other stuff that's the whole purpose of it it's like asking for an intern with a bunch of experience like you're an intern to get the experience it's ridiculous okay so danielle said go ahead i I, I think there's there's a lot of and and i I speak my mind on this stuff because I've just seen it and I just I don't think enough people talk about some of the things that are wrong with with how this goes. Mm. I think managers are lazy. If you want if if you want to you want the best team, right, you need to build the best team. You cannot buy the best team. And, And I think managers are relying on finding the perfect candidates to buy the best team. Right. Like not everybody's the Yankees. Okay. Like mm-hmm. You can't just buy championships. And I'm a Yankees fan, so I can say that. <laughs> I'm living in Boston, and, I, and I'm in my basement because I said that for a reason. So no Get down real you low. Wanna, you want – I would rather bring in junior talent on the cheap, people who are hungry for the job, knowing that they don't have a 1,000 years of you know experience and everything, bring them in and mold them into the team that I want. If I'm buying unicorns – I'm buying somebody else's everything and they're going to build and do the things that they want. Cause we've all worked with those people and they yeah. have their way. And they, they mom, have their bad habits that you can't break. They do. Sure. Right. My mom used to be, she's retired now, but she was a head of nursing at a, a, a number of different places. And she loved bringing in brand new nurses. She was like, I love it because I can teach them the way I want to teach. I can mold, I can grow. They're new, you know, fresh out of school and I can train them up. And that's really what it's all about. Like that's what junior level is, period. Okay, so Danielle says, everyone wants a senior level roles and won't hire junior role. They wanna see, they put the senior level, they put the senior descri- the job description in and call it a junior role. That's what, the, that's what it is. <laughs> um, somebody else says here, there's also the opposite problem. Applying for a senior analyst roles and hiring yeah. managers see a master's and automatically tag you as overqualified or too expensive without even opening the lines of communication. That does happen. Yeah, there's. I think people in, in incorrectly think and assume that there's an expectation that, oh, I have a master's, I get this. So you don't know that person's drive or motivation for getting their master's. Some people love going to school and education. I can't mm-hmm. stand it. <laughs> like some people I, I love it, it and they like have multiple masters and they that's just mm-hmm. what they do that's their thing right. and yeah it's like held against them because i i've done that too i've been i've had that bias where i'll look at someone and be like i don't think we can get this guy for this role and he's got <laughs> all this stuff and i'm like you almost got to stop yourself like well it's at least worth a conversation you know yeah. 
I mean, you can be surprised. I, I say that all the, that's that's probably my number one thing that I tell leaders all the time. Like it's 15 minutes out of your life. Have a conversation. Have a conversation. Have a come like literally I'll repeat it and repeat it and they're like, okay, fine. Sometimes I just book people on people's calendars, like, talk to this guy. Let me know what mm -hmm. you think. <laughs> and then and then they're like, Oh wow, this person was great. Like, yeah, you know. Um, Charles, Charles Watu. Watu, yeah. Most recent right? guest on the Hacker You're Valley Studio podcast. Exactly. Nice. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Charles. I'm always interested in understanding people's experiences. Yeah, have the conversation. That's the whole thing. Um, Sharon says, I think she's talking about maybe Brian's advice. That advice is so true. The role I applied for didn't have, I didn't have all the experience in the JD, but they gave me the job. That's the Chris Cochran's advice. Apply to jobs, folks. Just Do apply. It. IT help oh, desk yeah. entry level are so laughable. We're crying 10 years in certs. Like, I hope those help desk salaries are higher than what they ask for. They're not. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but that's... If you're, this is some advice I've given, I've given younger people. And I, I just, people reach out to me on LinkedIn and, and everybody can still, if you're a junior level person, and you're looking for like some advice, I'll do a one-on-one. -on -one. I've, I've done this. I've been doing this for a while. I like it. Mm -hmm. Like find to Chris's point, like find the company you want to go work at and then go find kind of that low level job that you know, you can get in that company. Go mm -hmm. do that job for a year. Right. Right. Like people mm -hmm. need to think about their jobs and their careers coming out of college a lot more strategically. Everyone's mm -hmm. just coming out like, I got to make six figures in my first year and doing this. Right. It's like, dude, right. you didn't go to Harvard. Okay, <laughs> You're not getting that. You're not getting picked up on the A-team law, like law company right. or law organization. Like mm -hmm. you're in this field. Okay. And in this field, we cut our teeth someplace. Like mm -hmm. we rise through the ranks. And if you're in security for the pure sake of security, you know nothing about IT. Ooh, you might want to pick a different job because mm -hmm. this one's not for you. You need to understand all those people you're going to be working with. So go get that job on a help desk. Do you know how much stuff you can learn on a help desk? It, do you guys follow um, uh, uh, Tay Swift, uh, Swift on security on Twitter? Yeah, yes, of course. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> Everything he or she talked, I don't think anybody's ever figured that out. Right. Anything that Tay's that talked about, like uh, before Tay got hired to the job that they're in now, Previous to that, it was all, I work on a help desk. You wouldn't believe the security stuff I get to deal with. That's totally outside of my job, but I see and work with all the time. Mm -hmm. Hugely popular, amazing amount of information that's come out of that account on yep. the things that a help desk technician deals with that has security relevance. Mm -hmm. Right. That's they, how they, I started. Yeah. It's a great yeah. role. And people just, yeah. oh, no, I don't want to do that. I want to go right into the cool stuff. You're not mm -hmm. ready for yeah. the cool stuff yet. Plus, you, you, you figure out how <laughs> the people work, how people work, how users work, what they want to do, their 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 reasons for choosing the path of least resistance, and why attackers can be so successful in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Brian, I got to tell you, if. If I was a young person, for example, coming out of an undergraduate degree program where they told me that I could go through this program and get a degree and come out and get a job in cybersecurity, I think I would also say, well, why am I going to work at the help desk when I could have just gotten a cert and I spent, you know, 30000 or whatever the number is of money, four years of my life, and now I'm being told, go work on the help desk? Well, what's... Well, let's take it to another. So I give the civil engineering example, right? An established area. Let's go back to the law example. 
-hmm. How many people actually come out of law school and don't clerk somewhere first? Mm -hmm. Don't work as a lower level lawyer. Yeah, you pass the bar, but you still need to kind of rise through the ranks. You don't come out and are partner at that firm. You, right. you have to prove yourself. Why is our why is our sector? I know we want to be the cool kids, right? And and we we kind of are in that sense because we're we started out fringe, right? Everyone worked on the edges in security, right? There's twenty six hundred club, you know, or, or whatever, and we got into this, and now it's an industry. I had a great discussion yesterday with Caleb Sima about this, and it was like that's that's what it is. Everyone thinks that we're so special. Like IT thought they were so special. We're not. We're, we're we need to have our expectations like so many other established professions do because this is a profession and the more i think the more that we start realizing that that's what it is this isn't a quick win after college yeah the job market's big and it's going to open up but there's still a level of paying your dues mm -hmm. to get to the level that you need to there's a i don't know if it's just i, I don't know it's i think it's marketing i mean i so the the, the perspective i see it from and i think you know, Chris probably would really agree with me because we, and you all too, you get bombarded with people that are really, really frustrated. And they say, you know, and you could tell that they are, are trying to do the right thing. And they feel kind of, I, I feel that they feel duped. Not every program is created equal. We know that, like you're, to your point. I don't know if Harvard has a cybersecurity program, but if they do, they probably got a bunch of <laughs> companies waiting yeah, the, at the door. Certificate. Right, they have a certificate. That's right, but certain, certain. I, I talked about this last week. Certain programs, those students get three or four offers. Like, they get them. They, they, you know, they get into an internship, they get into an entry level, a real entry level cybersecurity program, and you know, they flourish and they and they start their careers. Right, other programs, who you know, we could call them degree mills. We could call them whatever. The marketing is around oh, this, you know, shiny degree. And then, hey, you pay us 30000 whatever the number is. And then you can go out there and make this six-figure salary. And it really sucks because I think that people that really don't truly fully understand it, I think by the time they get to us and by the time they get to LinkedIn, they've kind of been banging their head against the wall. And then, they're, then they wonder, like, what's going on here? I mean, I had a I was talking to a guy the other day and I was I was actually pretty surprised and it was a pretty it was a you know a, a pretty well-known university and this guy sat on the board and he was telling me how the entry level students in that program were not getting or this the, not entry level the students coming out of the program they were getting a degree and they were not getting jobs and I was like that's because you're not part, like you should be the 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 university programs it behooves them to be in partnership with industry your local if you're in philly and you have local you know whatever companies are there why are they not bringing in the brian's of those companies into the program to say what should we be teaching what do we need to these kids to know what kind of internships can you provide what kind of co-ops and giving them experience so that when they get out there they can say they did a little bit of the thing and so you wouldn't have so many people like I get some people say, you know, having to go and, do, and and pay your dues. But it's it's really unfortunate because I feel bad on the others. I'm like, wow, this person who and typically is people that, you know, they don't have the money like they're like, 
I did this because I'm trying to change from this customer service situation that I'm in and get into a profession. And I've been sold into this thing. And it's so, so, so unfortunate. And I really think that marketing needs to change, especially in these universities, so that people can actually know what they're getting into. Like, yes, you know, you can get this degree, but you will likely be taking a job on the help desk, getting whatever the help desk pays or some other entry level IT role, getting whatever that pays versus this fake hundred thousand dollar brand new waltz into a job <laughs> type situation that we all know is un it's not happening and the, the boot camps and the cert mills are in line with the universities where they make these big promises to to individuals that sign up and they make them get like huge loans from like private private loan companies and they'll they'll never be able to pay them back um for years and years and years it, it yeah. it's so sad like i've yeah, seen that happen it's totally a business and, and i get it but if, I, if I nobody just... realizes that college is a business <laughs> I, I don't it's a huge business it makes a lot of money for people they need mm -hmm. to do it you know they and marketing is the way to do it what your example is is interesting because that university failed at being able to capitalize on if they had those partnerships with local businesses be able to say hey we place a hundred percent of our students in these types of organizations <laughs> boom boom exactly. boom like yes colleges yeah. want to be able to have that so that you can then turn around and attract the right people because if i'm looking at yeah. two company two colleges for the same degree this one's telling me that they've got a hundred percent placement rate with local businesses or whatever in the field that i'm going into versus this one's not telling me any of that I'm, and that's an easy choice. That's a marketing 100%. miss on the university's position. One hundred percent, Brian. I, I mean, I've actually gone to university a couple years ago. I went to some universities and said, "Hey, I, I was so flummoxed by this. Like, it really was confusing to me because you know, Chris knows. Everybody knows that." The folks, the companies that hire me, they're usually looking to bring in really seasoned people, 15 real years of experience, like none of the fake stuff, like real deal <laughs> experience people. And so I was kind of surprised. And Chris was too. That's how Chris and I connected. It's like, why are all these people not getting jobs? I thought that we have 3 million open jobs around the world and you got all these people with these cybersecurity degrees. Like, what do you mean it's so confused? And they're like, can you mentor me and what happened? Like, wh why? You should be getting something. This doesn't make any sense. And then you start to dig in and pull back the onion and you see the disconnect. And it's really unfortunate. Hey, um, Renee, okay. can I ask you something about like the, so I've been out of the recruiting space, like kind of on the inside for a while. Um, mm -hmm. On job descriptions, one of the things that I learned about at that company was they were using, the recruiting firm was using a tool. The one that, that I'm familiar with was called Talent Hook. And there's like all these mm -hmm. like keyword searching, you know, is that still a standard like in processing method that recruiters are using to like mm -hmm. get through? So so it still plays that you should write your resume to include kind of all the all the key points out of the job description. Like that's Absolutely. still a very valid. <laughs> applicant <laughs> tracking systems are still are still the that's still the way they're doing it. And that's now they use LinkedIn they for it. They they use yeah. LinkedIn and with the tools we were just talking about before we started um, to find the people with those keywords. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I guess don't say don't say I like pizza or you'll end up at a pizza shop. <laughs> <laughs> I keep getting those sand admin roles. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's what it is. And it's funny because you'll get um, 
it's weird because when you write a job, just uh, when you write a resume, you don't think to rewrite certain words over and over and over again. So mm-hmm. if you're a sand engineer, you're just going to say, I'm a sand engineer and these are the things that I did. And as you know this, Brian, and from being recruit, a recruiter and applicant tracking and stuff, it's really how it's a it's an algorithm of how often the person has it in their role, how often, you know, if you have sand engineer all the way at the top in one little spot and somebody else has sand engineer for 25 times, their resume is going to get ranked higher than yours. So having the tools that you use, having, you know, all that information in there is kind of like the hack with applicant tracking systems. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. And search strings. You should, you should, so, so if you're writing a resume, you should still really tailor that resume to that job you want so that you can kind of beat the algorithm is, is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So like have your stock resume, but then highlight certain things that that job description is calling out for and specifically. Correct. Okay, that's good to know. And there is a tool. I'm going to find the name of the tool. Cause there's a tool that does, it's called, I think it's called job scan, job scan. You can, um, put your Ride resume, your resume in next next to a job description and it will tell you how like if you're 50% if you're 75% or whatever um mm. in alignment with what the job description is asking for i think it's job scan ron did you find it i just googled it yeah it says uh, optimize yeah. your resume and boost your interview chances sounds nice sounds yeah. like a tool i would recommend to everybody <laughs> yeah. even myself yeah. like if, if you're going in blind i think you definitely have to just take the five to 30 minutes to take the bullet points from the requirement and just put it on your resume and speak to it. Like, how have you done those bullets? And the job is virtually yours to lose at that point. And um, Banjo Crashland on his Twitch stream talks about how you can actually take like whole lines of the, the job description and put it in that custom resume for that job because then you'll line up even better with the applicant tracking system because you're you're using their own language mm-hmm. um, yeah. in your resume. Yeah. And as a recruiter, like when back when we really used to actually read the resume. Putting <laughs> 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 all the secrets out. Putting out all the secrets are out. Recruiters are reading. The recruiters are listening like Renee. <laughs> <laughs> when we used to read resumes. Um, it was funny because one of the things that I talk about, this was how they trained us. And they would say, first and foremost, all of the for, and this is for, you know, individual, mostly individual contributor roles and things like that. They start the, the recruiters look at the experience. So when you have, you may have an executive summary, you may have like, oh, these are all the tools that I use, all that stuff. Literally, the way I was trained is, and it was a paper resume at the time, he kind of folded all of that over and was like, okay, what's the first line of what the experience is in this person's job? And if they said, I am a you know Java developer doing blah, 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 blah. He's like, that is what they're doing. Like all of this other stuff up here, it's nice, but we want to see this. What are you doing in the job? So I would recommend that anybody, most of the people on this, on you know, that listen to these lives are individual contributors or maybe like, you know, a team leader or something like that. That body of your resume, and we call that the body, that part that has the experience is most important. Like your executive summary could be, or your overview or whatever, could be two lines like we you know we're not overly paying attention to that the real the real meat and potatoes of that resume is in 
the experience. And as much as you can flesh out, and I tell people, flesh it out. Like, don't feel like, oh, each one has to have three bullets or it has to be equal or whatever. If you did eight things, you know, if you have eight bullets worth of stuff to put into that last job, put it all in there because that's what we want to see. You know, be fun. Um, I, I've done this. I've shared when I've done one-on-ones with people. Like, I've shared my resume. Like, I've screen shared it and been like, this it's been winning for me. I'll just say that it's been a winning resume, like how it's structured. Um, and I've gone through, but that would be interesting to maybe, I'd love to see you guys do a show where you could just take like a good resume and break down and just look at it and like what works. Cause that's interesting. I, I've always had a very short executive summary, but I've always had it in there, but yeah. I think you've convinced me to take it out and go try it. And not that I'm looking for a job right now, but I'm always interested to just see what works. Mm-hmm. Like well, you're this short and you're a leader. Like it's a little bit that, and that's why I said specifically to the oh, so individual for ICs, it's very Okay. It's mm-hmm. all about the doing. When Ron yeah. wants to hire a, a, an architect, he doesn't care. I mean, he does a little bit. <laughs> Just summary. He's like, can you come in and do this thing? Like I'm in pain. Right. Who who was on here? Yael was saying companies put up job descriptions, not because they like you, not because of whatever, not because it's nice to have you. It's like, I'm in pain. I'm bleeding. I need somebody to come in and do this task. And so when that task matches up and that's when they, they the way they would train us, they said, if that first line of the person's resume is super close to the first line of the job description you just got from the, the manager, that's the person that you want to talk to. You know, other people, if they advice. say they're a job developer, but it's like 17 lines down, that's mm-hmm. not a job developer. <laughs> the person who's doing the thing right now, that's the person, and that aligns to the job description. So for like a, a, a tool like JobScan, you put your resume in, put these job descriptions in, and then it kind of does it for you. But that's that's the that's a little another little hack. And Brian, I actually I've done some um we should do this live one day. I did we did Marie's Mary. Mary, um, what's Mary's last name? Galloway. Galloway. We did her resume. We did we did her resume in uh women's society of cyber jutsu. She was like, oh my God, they have my resume for all the world to see. <laughs> but we, got, <laughs> we did it live. Like I could do them live and tell you, wipe stuff out, take this down, move this, you know, to the bottom. People sometimes they start with their college resume or their entry-level resume and they just add on. Mm-hmm. Versus when you get to a certain level, when you get to that like five seven year experience team lead level you want to switch it around so there's certain things that kind of we pay attention to that when you think about it from a hiring manager perspective they're just scanning through if you have 50 resumes you're like boom boom you know it's it's quick it's a quick it's a quick process so that is a good idea we've been going for 54 minutes we got like a minute minute to go let's do uh final thoughts around the room Let's start with Ron. You guys talk because I've been talking. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would, I would recommend you know everyone uh, who's listening if you're on the if you're in the job market to really digest some of these topics. There are some good points. Brian got up a brought up a good point about hiring, uh, not hiring, negotiating. Chris brought up a good point about um, finding the right company and also matching your skills to any job that you want really. And Renee is just breaking down the code line by line. I think like this is something for me to like take back and learn from. But everyone else who's listening, you know, shout outs to you for being here and capturing some of this wisdom. Go ahead, Chris. Um, I I would just say in regards to your search, find find someone that is in the role that you want to be in 
have an interview with them, have them figure out what they're doing and ask them to help mentor you. Because I think mentorship from those that are above um, definitely improves your chances um, for getting in. Absolutely. Ryan? You, Ryan. Uh, I, I agree with, with Chris Cochran on the like swing for the fences. The worst they can say is no. Go for the role that you want. Go for the company that you want to go be in, and probably just be really, you know, you know, tactfully but aggressive in reaching out to people inside that organization to see if you can get it in. Get an introduction. Who do you know in that? Who's who that hiring manager is? Can I get a discussion with them? Because perseverance and all that—that's that means a lot to somebody who's hiring. It's like, wow, this guy really wants this job. He's trying to get to me. Like, that's important. I think that that's something that just doesn't happen enough. Just go on the offensive. Get out there. Just, again, the worst they can say is no. You move on mm-hmm. to the next one. Yep. There's so many comments here. Chris? The only thing I'd say is keep moving forward. Whether you're going from one job to another, you're getting better within, just keep moving forward. Yes. And come back next week. There's tons of questions. And I think I might I might do somebody's resume live again. It'll be fun. Ooh, I love doing fun. those. I think that'll be a lot of fun. All right, folks. Thank you, Brian, for being here. Thank you. We really, really appreciate it. People got to run, get back to work. So thank you all. (laughs) Thanks for your comments. And we will see everybody next week. This is so life, baby. Thank you. (laughs) Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you. This was fun. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Anytime.